Once upon a time, I was in a girl gang called the Austin Craft Mafia. Our weapons of choice were hot glue guns, paintbrushes, and delicate bird-shaped scissors. I know, it sounds really nefarious, right? We all went by names like Hot Pink Pistol or Sparkle Craft. Years later, some of us are still crafty, and some of us are still going by names like Sublime Stitching. Guys, my name is Jennifer Perkins, and this is the Creative Queso Podcast. I'm no longer a card-carrying member of the Naughty Secretary Club, but I will always have a crazy amount of love and respect for my fellow Austin Craft Mafia members. Today, I invite you to listen in as I catch up with one of my fellow mafiosos, Jenny Hart of Sublime Stitching. Jenny and her embroidery patterns single-handedly revived a once-forgotten handicraft and made it cool. Not just cool, edgy, interesting, and artistic. Jenny has partnered with companies like Citizens of Humanity and Restoration Hardware, created embroidery patterns from artists like Gemma Carell and Mary Blair, Plus, her own embroidered works are in the permanent collection at the Smithsonian. Mic drop. Jenny is one of the most savvy business owners I have ever met in my life. And I've met a lot of them. When she gives advice, you take it. Lucky for you, this podcast has about an hour of us discussing conscious decisions not to scale, copyright infringement, art licensing, and brand collaborations plus a whole bunch of other fun stuff, like who remember the glitter boards in Craftster, ads in the back of Bus Magazine, and life before Etsy. All right, Jenny, I am excited to chat with you. I am excited to chat with you, and again so soon after seeing you. I know, right? I, it's like a double whammy, like twice in a six-month period. It's like a Christmas miracle. It's been wonderful. It's been great. I know. I know. I'm so excited. So, you know, as I said in the intro, you and I go back a long way, even though we've we've only got to chat twice in the last six months. There was a time where we were joined at the hip via uh, the Austin Craft Mafia. Yes, we were. And I was thinking about it today. Do you remember where the first place was where we had our meeting? The one like with Yumi and Tina? Yeah. It was like a coffee shop on like North Loop or something, wasn't yeah. it? Like, was it Flight Path? It was Flight Path. <laughs> See, I still have my memory. Our memory is intact. Yes. Right. And, and I actually came across photos the other day of um, that first, we weren't calling it Austin Craft Mafia yet, um, but that first event that we had at Blue Velvet when Blue Velvet was on the drag down by. Uh, oh, Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, good times. <laughs> I know, right? And Blue Velvet is still around. Now she's on North Loop. Oh, yeah, that's right. I follow her on Instagram. Oh, then, you do? Oh, yeah, I, need to go by. Her. I love her. <laughs> I need to go by and see her and reminisce. Well, you know, speaking of the Austin Craft Mafia, you know, right now it's like such a hot topic to talk about community over competition and rising tides, lifting all boats. How do you think that? Austin Craft Mafia contributed to the initial success of Sublime Stitching. Not that obviously you probably, Sublime Stitching probably contributed to a lot of our success more than the other way around. But what do you think about that, the community aspect? Oh, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. That's a nice thing to say. Um, I think one of the most impactful things was, um, well, we all talked about one another. You know, we were constantly cross-promoting and, mm -hmm. you know, you, me and Tina, um, used to share ad space when I was doing so much print advertising. And I think that was really impactful. I think people, I think just um, such a visible group of people as a collective generates a lot of interest. I think um, mm -hmm. because there's a cohesiveness to what we were doing and it gave a face to what was happening across the country in a wider way. So I think, you know, there's so many things that are at that time period, and I'm talking, you know, like around 2000, 2001, even a little earlier, where it was just this incredible convergence of, um, you know, people doing things across across the country, um, 
with alternative crafts and really getting into handcrafting and making by hand. And then for me, from my point of view, going, well, who can I reach out to that's here? Um, and it was both that, you know, I found Tina, Tina Sparkles, and and I was like, I really like what she's doing. I think this is really interesting. Um, and I couldn't believe what, that I, she was in Austin. I was like, oh, well, I'm, I want to have coffee with her. And, um, and then she said, let me bring you along. But I think, um, you know, as you know, it was a way for us to bounce ideas off one another, which for me is really important. Like, I really need people that I can talk to and say, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you think that's a good idea? Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm also a big believer in being very careful who those people are that you pick to listen to because everybody wants to tell you what to do and not everybody has best, most valuable advice or input. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, I really liked, um, I liked that we had a way to, uh, you know, bounce, communicate with one another, bounce ideas off one another before we put them out in the world. Um, I liked the way that we did cross promotion, which I think was the really huge thing. And then doing events, you know, once people kind of knew who we were as a group um, and then, you know, Stitch was, you know, such so successful and we had the Babes in Business group, which I really liked. Um, mm-hmm. And just to explain Babes in Business was because Austin Craft Mafia was not open to membership. Um, and but we didn't want people to feel like they couldn't, you know, we, it wasn't supposed to be like, you're not part of our club. It just was this, you know, group of people that came. It was more of a mastermind group looking back on it. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, you know, which are usually small groups. That's right. And then, you know, being able to facilitate groups in other cities, um, you know, start their own saying, yes, you can call yourself craft mafia. We only ask that you, you know, are officially tied into our website so that we can tell people about you. Um, and then babes in business, which was just an open coffee. Anybody who wants to come by, to talk shop or uh, make local contacts, give out cards, and somebody from the Craft Mafia group will always be there. I loved that. I thought that was such a great, that was one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, yeah, I don't know. What was your question? <laughs> no, you, <laughs> no, you answered it perfectly. Just about, about the Craft Mafia for five I know. We could just wax poetic for days. No, I, that was, you totally answered it. That was my question about, you know, kind of telling the story of how our community kind of helped all of our businesses and behooved us in that way. Do you have, you know, cause I don't hear anymore. And like you said, there is something so magical about that, like tight group of friends we had that were in that industry that we could bounce those ideas off of. And I think in a way for me, that's why I started the podcast. So I can have these little like mini mastermind conversations. I was like feeling this like business ache, like, man, I miss those conversations. But do you have like a community like that in Los Angeles? Is there like a place that you go or do you have like an online group or are you just like me, like sad and alone and need to start your own podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How are you doing? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm happy to be here with you today. <laughs> you're, you're love. You know that? I just, I just need friends in my closet is what I need. <laughs> um, well, there's a couple of things. I do have people. Um, I have wonderful friends. I've been very fortunate. And part of that is also due to the fact that I traveled so much out of Austin. So there are people that I knew before I moved here that I um, had made, you know, established relationships with through Renegade Craft Fair or times that I traveled out here and gone to shops and done workshops and met people. Um, And I would say now that my getting together uh, actually ends up being more focused on my fine art um, work with other Mm -hmm. artists and talking about that than my business as much. And I think in a way it's because, you know, this is the 18th year of sublime stitching. Um, and I feel less like I have other businesses that I can, um, how can I, how do I say this that are like mine? Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. another business that is at the same time as small and as established as mine is. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really have like, um, well, I see communities is more like, I'm more aware of, um, the newer communities 
And uh, I'm part of a small chat group on Instagram right now with uh, embroidery designers. And admittedly, I'm not very I'm not very active in it. I just I'm kind of at a saturation point with how many things I can pay attention to online. Um, but I really appreciate being involved in it because I'm genuinely interested in what their concerns are and what they're dealing with and what their questions are, um, because I see them coming up against a lot of the same questions we had. And if there's anything that I feel like I might be able to be helpful with, I'd like to, you know, jump in and get my two cents. Um, and so I feel like the, the communities like you're talking about, like we forged are happening in different spaces and there's so many more of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I'm not very active on Facebook or in private. Um, I think a lot of, there's a lot more, private communities where people say, we're going to kind of handpick 20 people that I like. And, um, but I'm kind of, I think I made a really conscious decision uh, a few years ago to really put my head down um, and really focus hard on my business. So I've put less energy into, um, into, I think it, what I'm trying to say is I've taken those tools that I've, I've gotten from it, benefiting from being part of a robust community and it's set in motion and I'm kind of in a different place right now with it. So mm-hmm. you know, I'd like to, I'm more interested in making myself available to people that have questions. Um, mm-hmm. As a mentor. Yeah. But at, at the same time, there's only so much time that I have. I get a lot of emails from people saying I'm coming to LA. I'd love to meet with you and pick your brain. And I, I just, I, as much as I wish I could say yes to all of those, I can't, I just, my time is, um, I'm, I'm pretty greedy with my time. Um, so <laughs> as you um, should be, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you know, and the other, other side of it is, and this is good. I'm just, this is just the hard truth. Jennifer is a lot of people that come to <laughs> Here's the, here's the straight talk. So a lot of people that <laughs> give it to me and want advice. They don't want to hear the advice that I have to give them. It's not what they're expecting maybe, or it's not, uh-huh. you know, and it's not, um, it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, it's not, and I'm, I don't want this to make it sound like I tell them it's not going to work. It's, it's more like, well, actually I think this is the issue and this is how I would go about it. Or this is how I addressed it. And I can just see them gloss over and it's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. And then I'm like, okay, you know, I, something I've, I've done, done for five years and like this one specific problem I've addressed it this way. And, um, and it's just, it's a, it's an eye watering amount of work, you know, that's just kind of the, the bottom line of it is it's just very challenging. And I think, I think, um, there's kind of a, an unfortunate expectation I mean, nobody's more impatient than I am that people think it's going to just happen overnight. Yeah, and, there's not a success pill. Right. And and I think Instagram in particular, where people, you know, like overnight, they'll have 50,000 followers. It's like, you know, it's like 300,000 followers is now the new 10,000 followers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's this urgency that they want to tie that immediately into it being a stable ground for their business. And I think that's really tricky. I think that is uh, mm-hmm. something to be really cautious about. Um, I've always been um, really, really always had a plan B. You know, I always didn't want to build my expectations or the, um, uh, you know, be on a platform that I didn't control. That's always mm-hmm. been really, really important to me. It's like if I can get exposure through Instagram and get a lot of followers and a lot of engagement, that's great. But I have to know every day that Instagram controls that platform, period. Yeah. Um, well, I, you and I have lived through the MySpace oh, exactly. debacle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. remember, I've said it before, but it's like they, uh, they thought Naughty Secretary Club was a porn site and blocked it when I had, that was my number. Yeah, that was my number one referrer. So you and I have been around long enough to learn that lesson of like, don't build all your hopes and dreams on a social media platform because you can't, you can't, you can't trust it. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. No, it's, it's like, don't build your house on rented property because. That's right. And I know that I, and I really feel for, you know, for people who've gotten a huge following, I don't blame them. I would too. of like, how do I monetize this? Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that I found, you know, for my business 
is, is it, I don't know how, if, if you find the same thing, but it's the newsletters. Um, you know, I, it's just been a newsletter list and years of building an established, trusting, happy mm-hmm. Um, and that takes time. Um, yeah. And, and you've got an 18 year long customer yeah. list. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is at the same time, I want new customers. You know, I think it's, I believe me, I revere and adore my longtime sublime stitchers and they're wonderful and they write me and I'm always so happy when they write and say, I've been following you and stitching with your patterns since 2003 or longer. And it's, it's really, really, it's very touching to me. And at the same time, I'm really focused on making sure that I get new customers um, it's been nice though because that's been kind of built in because now I'm getting daughters that grew <laughs> I can't believe mm-hmm. it, but that grew up with their mother or their dad most often it's their mothers um, doing this with them and that's been that's been really nice that's been uh, um, something I, I dreamed about you know like one day I thought oh it'd be so nice if that happened but um, now I now here I am and it's starting to happen. It's really oh, it is. Tallulah is definitely Tallulah has done a Tuesday bass and embroidery pattern. Oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely become generational. And you know, speaking of, this kind of segues into another question. You know, getting new customers and all that. One of the things that you've done that I I've always thought was so smart is you have worked with other artists who have completely different you know, followings than you do. And then once they have a pattern like Tuesday Bassin or My Paper Crane, you know, and then once they have a pattern with you, then those people are sending their fan base over to Sublime Stitching or uh, what is her name? Tara McPherson. Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Tara McPherson. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always been so smart with partnering with other artists as well to bring in their community to Sublime Stitching. I think that that's, and I, I think that you know, I, I feel like collaborations have been, of, of all companies have been, it seems like they just, that's become much more of a staple um, in the last 10 years, maybe. You just see everybody does collaborations. I'm not saying that has anything to do with me. Um, you know, and where, but where my collaborations came from was I, I'm a huge comics fan. I grew up, you know, reading countercultural comics, fanographics, um, and and just loving art and illustration and cartoons um, and comics of all kinds. And I loved the marriage of embroidery and drawing because at its heart, mm-hmm. embroidery for me, it's about the, the drawing at the basis of it. And then I loved the idea of taking this artwork that I enjoyed and seeing it embroidered, you know, seeing it translated in embroidery was really mm-hmm. exciting. Um, and I'm just a fan and it was a great way for me to approach artists that I admired, both established and well-known artists and also emerging artists. Um, so I, I, I really love that. Um, and, and, and you're absolutely right. That was a, a, an aspect of it as well of going, I want to get my work in front of their audience that would never find me otherwise. And also to people that come to me as embroiderers who maybe aren't familiar with Jim Woodring's work um, or Aaron Paisley and get them turned on to their work. So I really, mm-hmm. I, I liked all angles of it. And um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good two for one special. And you've done <laughs> such an amazing job of curating really great artists. It's not like you're necessarily going for like the biggest, most popular. I mean, you have a distinct style and taste preference and you've stuck true to that and I I love all the ones that you've chosen thank you they're just it's it's what I love you know I get um you know people will write me all the time and I really appreciate it I love it when people suggest artists and I love it when people um say I really like this person's work and the truth is is that I have my list pretty far in advance of who I'd like to work with but um I look at every one that people suggest. Every time people suggest it, I always check it out. And half the time I'm like, I'm dropping everything and I'm going to, I want to do it. I'm just, I'm endlessly excitable. (laughs) And I I have to take a step back and say, you already have four projects going right now. You need to tie those up first. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I really, really love, um, I'm, I'm really proud of the stable of artists that I've got so far. Um, I'd like more, uh, I'm still looking, you know, cause I know there's a lot of artists that, um, 
uh, actually, there was an interview I listened Who did I listen to? Your interview with Andrea Pippin. Uh-huh, yeah. And I really like her work. Um, mm-hmm, and, I love her stuff. And then I went down a rabbit hole of looking at her Instagram and people she follows. And yeah, I, it's funny because I've actually been focusing so heavy on doing patterns of other artists' work that I haven't done a lot of my own patterns. I was I was going to ask you that. Like, what was the last pattern that you did? Like the hairstyle one or... Uh, I did one actually because I was pouting about it. Um, I was like, I'm going to do a pattern just like that. And it was, um, it's called Mysterious Guest and it's the black cat in, in flowers. Oh, uh-huh. I love that guy. I saw yeah, him. Thank you. Um, so that's, that's one that I drew. Um, and it, it, it's funny because I, I approached doing the pattern design a couple of different ways where it's, it's either an artist that I'm working with and I'm interpreting their work as an embroidery pattern. Uh, Natalie Latte is a great example. Um, I wanted to work with Natalie Latte, um, who's a French artist illustrator, um, primarily works in paint um, as embroidery patterns. And that was going to be a real challenge because it wasn't really obvious how you would translate her work into um, uh, contour lines for an embroidery pattern. So I've been really happy with that. So I either work, work with artists in that capacity or I'm designing something that I know my customer would want. Um, and so I'm, and so it's a little, it's not just my free for all creative, like this is a Jenny Hart pattern. It's just whatever I felt like doing. It's um, me taking a theme and interpreting it for an embroidery pattern, mindful of what my customer would want, what I think looks good, what I think makes a good embroidery pattern. And then the cat pattern is more something like out of my sketchbook. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and I would actually like to get to doing more of those um, because that's, I mean, well, that's kind of why, you know, I think all of us start doing this is we like all of these things if we're lucky, but um, at its heart, we hope that it's our creative impulses that will feed our business and be something that other people enjoy as well. Yeah, I mean, all your, you know, your guest artists are great, but don't you forget who puts sublime stitching on the map, lady. It's you. (laughs) (laughs) You, your beautiful art. I just wondered, I knew, I knew you, I knew you'd been working with more artists than you had yourself. And I just thought maybe you were focusing more on your fine art. And that was kind of what you were using as your creative outlet, outlet, as opposed to patterns. I think that's it. I, as you were sitting here, I, I'm not kidding. I was sitting here going, who, who is she going to see putting on the map? Who was it? <laughs> who am I going to what? Say that again. I, thought, I was honestly sitting here waiting to hear who you were going to say, put it on the map. Like, oh. who, 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 who helped me in the biggest way possible? And I didn't even <laughs> You did. Duh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Um, <laughs> well, that's very nice. Um, I, uh. Uh, I, I am really focused on my fine art right now and in a way that I wasn't before, um, you know, for since the blind stitching started, one of the things that I've been really, really fortunate um, to, to do is, is do special projects. And by special projects, I mean commercial illustration projects. Like I did a book cover or I did a portrait for an ESPN commercial or um, some of the clothing collaborations that I've done. Uh, And they're fantastic. It's given me this great opportunity to work in a lot of different media, um, work with some fantastic art directors, do things that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. But they um, every time they take away from the focus of the business and me doing the artwork that I want to do. Because if it's a commercial piece, like say a book cover, it's it, the considerations and the way I work on it are completely different than if it were something I were just doing on my own. So I made the decision um, that I was taking a break from any special projects this year. I've already said no to eight, I think. Um, and, um, and I also stopped uh, exhibiting my artwork. Um, I did one group show... Uh, it was at Mission um, Mission 356 here in Los Angeles, which uh, is, it's no longer there, but it was Laura Owens. Um, she invited me to be in a group show there, which I said yes to enthusiastically. But um, it's for me, my artwork has to be the thing that there's no consideration of what somebody else wants or expects it to be. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so for about, uh, you know, and I thought for a while, it's like, well, maybe I'll take a break and just do that for a year. And I think I'm going on my fifth year now of my artwork without selling it, without showing it. Um, I actually, for the first time, I had a really good friend of mine. Do you remember Domi Books? Yeah. uh uh, What was her name? Magda? Magda. I don't know Magda. Oh, oh, I know. Yes. Um, I'm thinking of Russell who ran the bookstore. Okay. Okay. He lives out here now. He's actually the director of the bookstore at um, the Marciano Foundation. Oh, okay. Russell's Russell's great. And I had Russell over. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And he's the first person I've had over where I said, here's the body of artwork I'm working on right now. I want to talk to you about it and I want you to look at it and tell me what you think. And, um, so having that separate from, um, I no deadline, you know, it's, it, it really, I think that that is, I've found for me, like if a gallery comes to me and says, we're going to have a, a group show and this is the theme and we need a piece by this time. I just, I don't do good work. I, I, it becomes work and I don't, mm-hmm. um, I don't enjoy it. I don't feel as free creating it. Um, I get really stressed out about delivering on time. Um, and so a lot of the last few years has been about just this process of kind of shedding any deadlines, shedding any, and, and that's, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a business that I can focus on that will let me do that. Because there's certainly mm-hmm. a time where I didn't feel like I could afford to. It's like, we want to do this commercial illustration. And I was like, yeah, I, I need to take that. I need the exposure. I want the experience. I need the money. Um, I mean, I always need the money. Um, it's just that I, I'm focused more on generating that money from coming out of my own business as opposed to chasing down um, freelance projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely hard. I mean, my I'm using the term art for myself in air quotes, but you know, I have a dis- I have discussions with a lot of people who do, you know, creative content work like I do. You know, I get hired by a company and they want a certain project, and it's like you know, it has to be in the parameters of what they want, and not exactly what you want. Like in my case, I'm like having to you know take an extra layer of glitter and a couple pom poms off to make it, you know, more consumable. <laughs> but like I get it; it's nice to have that separate thing that's like I'm gonna do it on my terms on my time like I'm gonna add as many damn pom-poms as I want nobody could tell me any different so (laughs) you gotta have that you do and you know there are there are rare exceptions and like a couple of really really good examples for me um I did a I did a collaboration with uh Citizens of Humanity the jeans company Mm -hmm. and I did a it was a fantastic experience. They're just an incredible company to work with. Um, they work with artists all the time. They do special collaborations. Um, and it was that rare, um, I can't believe I'm getting to work with this company. I can't believe they're such amazing people. And I can't believe they're going to literally let me do whatever I want. Um <laughs> And the holy grail, the trifecta, the holy creative grail. They sent me to Tokyo. It was a special collaboration for um, a really popular boutique in Tokyo. Um, and it was great. It was fantastic. Um, I did a second collaboration with them that was for, exclusive for free people. And that was a little bit different. It was just as great. Um, it's exhausting. You know, it's an unbelievable amount of work. Um, but I learned so much from doing it. So after the, um, the citizens project for Rosebud in Tokyo. Uh, I did a, I did a big blog post and I don't blog as much as I used to, but I really wanted to devote the time and space to talking about this project. And the point that I wanted to get across was, you know how you hear about all of these artists getting ripped off about clothing from getting ripped off by big companies or clothing companies. Well, here's a story of when that didn't happen and what it looks like. And I mm-hmm. really wanted people to, see the results of that and what that could look like. And also know that about citizens for one thing, because they, they deserve the, the kudos for that. The other, um, the other one that I had a really good experience with, although it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is I did um, embroidery kits for restoration hardware for their seasonal, um, you know, every Christmas they have special, they have extra, you know, kind of gifty things. Uh-huh. Um, I did uh, embroidery kits for them for three years in a row. Um, and they 
they were incredible to work with. And one of the things that it was really, really hard um, because there are such requirements when you're dealing with that sort of volume. I think the first one we did 3000 kits. Um, everything has to be labeled to their specifications. Everything has to be packed a certain way. And, and, and that's not something that you figure out in a day. It, it took weeks and spreadsheets and making sure that you have everything. And that is for their warehouse receiving, which is something as I'm sure a lot of your listeners, if, even if you deal with a smaller business, um, they may have certain warehousing requirements. You know, it has to be labeled this way. This number has to be on the outside. So just take that times 100. Um, and so that was incredibly challenging. But what was so great about working with them was that they had, at least at the time, I'm, this was several years ago, I don't know if it's changed, but they had a separate contract that was for artisans like me that basically said, we know you are not a giant operation and we're going to take away some of the layers that would probably be impossible for you to deal with so that we can make this, this happen. And I was really impressed by that. I really, really liked working with them. And I really liked that they acknowledged the challenges that a smaller creator or creative designer has so that they can actually make it possible and have something unique in their store. Well, good for you for spreading the happy gospel. It's like a Yelp review. You know, you only like, (laughs) you only write them when you're like angry and you never write a Yelp review and you're like, God, that person went above and beyond and was like so nice. Like the world needs more like stories like that. Like not everybody's an a-hole. Some people are really awesome. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm a big believer in that. Of course, you're always inspired to go type angrily. Then you're like, I'm so happy. I'm going to sit down and type up a a nice. Exactly. I'm, I'm too busy skipping through the rainbows to type a good review right now but (laughs) so you know when you and I when we were out there and I was with my friend Stacy and we went and had you know rice crispy milkshakes um we (laughs) one of the things we were talking about and this ties into what you're talking about was art licensing which I am like no clue about so now is that what it's called I'm going to sound like such a novice and educated in this field by asking this but is that are you licensing the art from those other artists like say you're new in with mary blair is that what it is like you get up an art licensing contract yes it, it depends because some artists um so for example well mary blair is no longer with us so it is mm-hmm. um, through her estate and they have an agent that licenses her work so mm-hmm. so it depends on the artist some artists have agents And if I were to approach them directly, they might say, that's great. I would love to do it. Here's my agent. Go talk to them. Although more often than not, I almost all the artists, I think all but maybe one, um, I work with them directly and I have, Mm -hmm. uh, and I have my own licensing contract and I've had the same one for years. I think it's changed a little bit. Um, and what I do is, you know, it's a whole process. It's like, Hey, I really love your work. I would love to add you to the slide station catalog. Are you interested? They come back and say, yes, tell me more. And then I have a long email I send to them that says, this is how it works. And I'm going to be sending you a contract, but this is what the contract asks for. And the things that I, that just, so your listeners know, like, and this contract was was drafted by me and a lawyer at the time because I wanted it to reflect. First of all, I wanted it to be a solid contract, um, mm-hmm. and I also wanted it to um, contain certain things that I wanted. And it's never my goal when I'm working with an artist or an illustrator that they don't know what the expectations are or it's something that they don't want. So meaning we agree on compensation, we agree on um, what the work is ends up looking like. I always show, you know, I, I, I try to always show them. Sometimes it gets off, off to the printers beforehand, but I, it's really important to me that they see the work and feels that it represents their work well. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, one of the, for example, in my contracts, in the email that I sent to my artists, it says, you're going to be getting a contract, but I just want to highlight these points. Um, like I will let artists, they don't have to create new artwork for me. They can if they want, but 
I want them to, I want to make it as easy as possible for them. So very often it's like, you won't have to do anything. You can just, you can give me existing artwork. I will do the interpretation of the patterns and it's artwork that you can continue to use for anything else that you want. The only thing that I ask that is exclusive is I ask that they work with me exclusively um, to interpret their work as embroidery patterns for hand embroidery. Mm-hmm. So other meaning any artwork that so that they won't you know I, I I want to have exclusive rights to their artwork for embroidery patterns so that they next year don't go to another pattern company and they're like hey we we're doing patterns with them too it's pretty simple you know it's uh-huh. a revolutionary idea but I just I always want people to know that that's my expectation and yeah and I just I've never had I mean people are great and I think. I think one of the um, one of the things that I've learned, especially working with artists who license their work a lot, um, I've worked with artists that don't license their work very much, and I've worked with artists that that's all they do, that's their whole career, and I found that the ones that do it the most are the ones that are the most flexible, and mm-hmm. I think that that directly relates to why there's so much of their work out there. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that it's not protected. It doesn't mean that it's just getting ripped off or they're getting taken advantage of. They have found this really great, happy medium of not being, um, and it took me a really long time for my own work to get to this place of, you know, I used to get real upset about money. I was offered to do something and I'd be huffing around going like, why are they offering me this? You know, my husband teases me. He's like, remember, remember, don't they know who I am? And I'm like, yes, I know. And I mean, you know, I'm super, super full of myself. And I'm just like, I should be commanding this price right now. Why, why, why are they even offering you this? And I, you just get over it and you're like, yeah, either you want to do it or you don't. And, um, and not, and you start to understand what people realistically are being paid for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I just a long way of saying that, um, that I hope, you know, for those listening that I think you have to be a little, you got if you want to be licensing your work, if you want to get your work out there, I'm not saying give up something you don't want to, but I, I think that they, um, it's given me a great perspective on what, how it works being on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. As an artist, yeah. You got to be able to give and take, I think. That's right. And, and seeing how they, you know, that I'm an artist who I license my work. I know what my expectations are, but then also dealing with those who do it far more than I do and how they handle it. It's been, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, yeah. It makes me think of, uh, I know you've done patterns with Heidi for my paper crane yes. uh-huh. and I'm sure, I'm sure her being like, reasonable and delightful and easy to work with. It's probably one of the reasons she has embroidery patterns and kid robot things and plushies at Target that your kid wants and, you know, in caps at Barnes and Nobles. Yeah, exactly. And, and I went to, um, I went to Decon out here a few years ago, Designer Con, and I went specifically because I wanted to look for new people to work with. And, um, I walked the whole floor and then I got my cards ready and I was like, all right, now I'm going back and I'm going to hit everybody that I, whose work I was really excited about that I wanted to work with. And I must've given out 10 cards and I very specifically asked them to contact me. I didn't say, is it okay if I contact you? I said, I told them who I was. I said, this is what I do. Here's a pack of patterns. I love your work. If you'd be interested in doing something like this, let me know. Here's my card. Send me an email. And I think out of, 10 people, one contacted me. And so for me, that's also a big thing. It's like, even if there was somebody other than who contacted me that I would just die to have their work, if they don't want to work with me, if they're not excited about it, I I want to focus on something else. I move on. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You're not going to hunt them down. No, it's, I've learned that it makes it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't end up being a good project. Um, and if they're not excited about it, um, and that goes both ways, you know, if I have, um, you know, I've been asked to do something and then they'll kind of like hem and haw about what we want to do. And then they don't sound really excited about it. And I'm thinking, well, I, you know, I want to work with you if you're excited to work with me. 
Um, mm-hmm. If we're going to start carving this down, cutting it back in a way that doesn't make sense, then maybe maybe I'm not the person for this project, and that's that's fine. Um, and then the person who contacted me, we did a ton of stuff together. We did two sheets of patterns. We did a tool case. We did a needle minder. She's been, she's, her name's Naoshi. Um, and I love her stuff, by the way. I love her stuff. Her work is, uh, it's so fantastic. And it's so cute. It's so cute. Um, she does for, uh, for your listeners, she does these worlds of little people and it's kind of like, little girls in these fantasy lands with even tinier people around them with like maybe candy heads. And, uh, it's hard to explain. You just have to see her work. Um, but it's amazing. Like little bubbly Bob haircuts. And uh, it's so, it's really clean lines and, oh, and it's all sand. A lot of it's sand art. Um, that, oh, interesting. that's her thing is that she's very, um, it's the, that's this Japanese sand art. So a lot of the work when you see it online you can't tell because it just looks like an illustration um but it's actually like super super fine sand adhered to wood and she even does little kits that you can get her cutouts um and comes with little bags of this super fine sand uh her great but she's been wonderful she you know she heavily promoted it and you know it's fun it's great I, i love that i i really um you know those are things that um it's just, it's, it's nice, Jennifer, when you make friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, you're just like the restoration hardware and the citizens for all those people. You're just paying it forward. Yeah, I love it. I like, oh. like promoting their work and, and, and coming together and making something that other people can, they can play with their artwork in a way that maybe they couldn't or didn't think of doing before. Yeah, I love it. I'd love it too. I know I need to get her kit. Now I want one of those sand kits. I want her embroidery kit and her sand kit. Yeah, sand kits are cool. I should have stolen one out of your studio while I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would have had it stolen and I know you would have given it to me. So, you know, you work with all these, these other designers, you do your own stuff. Like you have like a gazillion products now in your store. Um, and I know you've dabbled with working with other people through the years and all those kinds of things. And you've had done manufacturing things and had people that did order fulfillment. So do you outsource anything like that anymore? Are you all like a one woman show these days? I am back to being almost a one woman show. I, um, I, so when I started sublime stitching, obviously it was just me. And then I had, I had an assistant, uh, I had a string of just, you know, helpers that came by the house and would help me pack orders. And, um, and the first person who was really the uh, there, like on a solid timetable, was a um, was a uh, grad student at, from the law school at UT, and uh, Amon. His name was Amon. Amon yeah. uh, was wonderful. I love Amon. Um, he worked for me for about a year, and he loved. He said he loved the work because it was so relaxing compared to his um, law school <laughs> homework. Um, but I had people like that, you know, um, you know, kind of catch as catch can for a while. The most I ever had on my payroll was five people, um, and then over the years, I would have you know one or two, and people would work for me for a long time, for like you know two years, three years. Um, and right now, um, I made the decision last year, after various attempts at kind of scale, trying to scale up, people always talk about, like, I want to scale up my business. Uh-huh. And for me, I'd reached a point where I thought, okay, I'm actually ready to try and scale up with a staff again. And I just quickly learned that in my heart of hearts, it's not what I wanted because I am not, I don't want to manage people and there is simply no getting around it. If you have an employee, even if it's one employee, you have to manage them. Mm-hmm. And I, and I always was saying, you know, when I was, when I would do interviews, uh, I would always say um, how much I l- really liked when my business had been at a size where it was just me and I, and it was at a size where I could do all of it myself. And I found that it, you know, in the last year, I've kind of was, I kind of took a step back and I said, am I in this sweet spot right now where the business is established enough? I could not have possibly gotten at this point or level without having had employees, but could I do this all by myself now? Like, is it dialed in enough? And let me try that. And 
yeah, I fill mm-hmm. orders for four hours every day, but I love doing that. Um, filling orders is the most. You saw, you see what Amon found it, yeah, found exactly. a, yeah. relaxing about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and so I, um, so right now my, my husband works with me on the business a little, a very little bit, just consulting, not, you know, not like filling orders and he's wonderful. I really, really value his input. Um, he has a great perspective on it. Um, but every day it's me answering emails, packing orders, inventory management, which I really like that because that is a hard thing for, um, to teach somebody else to do. Like, how can you know by looking on the shelf that that is getting low and it's time to order it again because it's going to take three weeks from that vendor to get it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I work with, you know, so when you say one woman show, I'm like, yeah, but I work with like 30 vendors and, uh, I work with somebody who I give her, um, a lot of my raw inventory and she assembles it for me. Like I've always had that. I've always had something mm-hmm. that, um, was not somebody who came in every day, but somebody who worked on the side where they would assemble my kits. Um, I give them and that, and that in and of itself is a hard job, not just the assembly, but preparing for the assembler. Like that was one of the hardest things mm. that you wouldn't even think about that when I would hire someone saying, okay, they're going to need 20 of these, 40 of those because two go in that and this packaging and that it's a lot. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of moving parts, but I really enjoy paying attention to all of it. You know, it, it's, uh, and nobody's going to pay attention to your business like you will. No. And you know, do you, do you tell yourself this, Jen? I always tell myself, like, if I had to get a job, I'd be the best employee because I just know what an employer wants. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that sometimes I'm like, I, I bet I'd just be the best employee now because I know what they want. I know what their expectations are. That, that's who I am. They just cheer for me at the water cooler. I'd be the best. Right. Um, but I, I really, really enjoy it's less, it's less stressful for me because I know, I know it's getting done. You know, I, I love, I love doing customer service. I love emailing with my customers as you know, I can't do it all the time, but I answer all of my emails, everyone. And Mm -hmm. that's super important to me. That's it's, it's important to me, not just that they get that contact. I mean, that's really what my, that was the thing that made me want to do sublime stitching was getting emails from people um, saying, I love this. It's made me really happy. And that made me happy. Mm-hmm. And, and at a time when things in my life were incredibly difficult, my dad was very sick. I was answering customer service emails from, uh, a hospital library in Arkansas and to go down from an ICU unit, go into a hospital library, log on and get emails from strangers saying, I just got a pack of patterns and I love them. It, it carried me through that. And, you, yeah. you know, it becomes a thing that you're like, well, this is the best. What, what's better than that? It's wonderful. I love having all this contact with this many people through, through embroidery this time. And bringing people that, that happiness. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, I've never wanted to be like, I'm here because I want to make your life better, you know, but that's always been kind of like my secret thing, which is like, I just <laughs> feel excited about embroidery. And it's like, yeah, right. I just want like love and stuff. <laughs> I want Aww. people to well, be nice for- and me, me, me to, you know, work on being nice to you. Cause believe me, it's taken years to like, you know, I know, you know what this is like. You, you, it's very rare. I'm very lucky. It's very rare that I get snarky emails. I mean, I'll get like one a year and, uh, yeah. And, and it doesn't even have to be snarky when you start out getting, when you start your business and you are first dealing with people as customers, and that first email they send to you where they're like, I got this thing and I was disappointed. You know, you're on the defensive. They're, they're expecting you to not do anything about it. And I learned early on how quickly you can turn that around. And it's been good for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, how can I practice, you know, being as nice as I can to them, making it right. And then I, you get the reward of like, they're so relieved that somebody's taking it seriously. They're so happy that they're not getting attitude back, that is just smooth sailing from there. Um, exactly. You can like overcompensate and then make them into like super customers because that's right. That's right. It, yeah. They thought you were going to like do the wrong thing. And then when you do the right thing, not only are they surprised, they're like, what? Now I extra love you. That's right. And so it's, you know, so it's a little bit mercenary, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely been like, 
for me, I'm going, you know, I'll be a better person and I'll have less aggravated days for sure if I can, you know, keep a cool head and I can deal with the, and it's just, that's been, that has been absolutely one of the most enriching aspects of, of my business has been just the communicating with customers every day. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm finding that with the podcast. Like you get those like special like reviews or emails and you're just like, oh, you're just like, you're making me get misty. You know, I wanted to go back real quick talking about like scaling because one of the things I thought was so interesting when I was there and we were hanging out is you, you mentioned that, that you'd kind of purposely brought it down to just you. And, you know, I feel like we're in this society now with all these, like, everybody's like a boss babe and a this and a that. And it's like, you know, you somehow get all these stars on your chart if you, you know, are scaling and you're always busy and you've got like this many employees. But it's like you could have all of those things and you have this big successful business, but you just like are self-confident enough in your work to know, like, you know what? I want it to just be me. Like, I don't want to be wrapped up with 15 employees if I don't have to be. And I just don't think a lot of people, you know, realize that. Like, if you don't want to be huge, just, be, you know, if Gary Vaynerchuk is saying, like, you need to be huge, that doesn't mean you have to be if that's not what makes you happy and your business happy. Like, if you're content and love it the way it is, then keep it the way it is. You don't need to, you know, scale it and sell it and blah, 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 all those things. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of, um, I think, I mean, I thought the same things. I think there are a lot of ideas of, of, around that, that the, the real story of what that feels like and how it shakes out is not what you think it's going to be. And mm -hmm. meaning like what it means to work with another company, what it would mean if a company you know, like if a, let's say a giant corporation comes to me and says, we want to buy Sublime Stitching, you know, I would probably say no. I mean, I'd talk to them about it first, but the, I, the, 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 essentially what that is, is we want to become your boss. Well, mm -hmm. I started this because I don't want a boss. I want to do what I want to do. And independence is number one with me. It's just yeah. about maintaining my independence and being able to do what I want. For better or for worse, I'm, I make mistakes. Um, <laughs> but when I really hit it, um, you know, I get to own that. And that's really important to me. And, you know, and just honestly, I'm just somebody who I like, I like to work by myself. I'm mm -hmm. happy by myself. I like being alone in my studio. I like listening to my music. I don't, uh, I don't work well um, with other people around. It's very hard for me to concentrate. I'm I'm an introvert, Jen. It's just, you know, by all appearance. Uh, yeah. And you know what? There's you know, nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, I am too. Like I'm extroverted, but I like to work by myself. I like it quiet. I like my noise canceling headphones on. Like I don't want Chris coming in telling me about this hilarious thing he saw on Facebook. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's too disruptive. And, you know, I'm not shy. I, obviously I like to talk. I, I do like to meet people, but I have to have, um, uh, especially when I'm writing, when I'm working, and really when I'm just concentrating um, on sublime stitching, I just doesn't for me mix well with, um, like people love to brainstorm with me about sublime stitching. And um, I find it really stressful. You know, it's like, yeah, actually, I've already got so much going on in my head that, you know, just, hey, let's have a free for all. What if we did this or that? just makes me feel super anxious. And mm -hmm. so I think, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, um, well, you know, we're in an age where everything is about people putting out an image of what they're doing and how they're doing it for everyone to compare themselves to. And that's hard. I can't imagine mm -hmm. if I were a teenager with Instagram going on. I think it's, um, you know, and I, I'm the same. I mean, I post the prettiest picture of the corner of my studio that I can. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, I, I always want people to know of like, yeah, but there's a mess right beyond the edge of the phone. Um, uh -huh. or I'm stressed out about stuff. Um, and that's always been important to me because I know, I know you've, you know, ever since we were, there was such a focus on giving advice on how to start our independent businesses you know, from the get go, mm -hmm. especially through Ostercraft Mafia. And I, and I don't know if you felt this way. I think you did. I think we all felt like I never wanted to be this, you know, yes, just go for it and quit your day job. And it's all going to work out because I felt like that was really bad advice. I thought mm -hmm. the best advice you could give is this is what it's really going to be like. 
Um, and, and by the way, I don't even know because I'm still just starting. Um, and I feel like, you know, 18 years in now, I'm really only now starting to seriously reap the benefits of the things that I've learned. Like it's taken me this long to finally be like, okay, I get it. That doesn't work. I must stop putting my attention on that. This is mm-hmm. how it works. And I still focus on dumb stuff just because I want to, you know, even though it's like, no, that really, that's, that's not it. Um, but yeah, but, like, but I want it to be it. I'm going to make it be it. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think, I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, is that, do you think that's what people's goals are that they like, I'm going to have a big staff under me or I'm going to be, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. It depends on the genre since I kind of have with the podcast and just kind of in life, I've always had, uh, you know, kind of one foot in the DIY world and then one foot in the business world, you know, I've always loved like, you know what I mean? I'll be, now I might be reading like Grace Bonnie's like good company, but I'm also reading like Inc and Fortune Small Business or whatever. You know, I don't even know if those are around anymore, but you know what I mean? Both of those things. And so I guess too, it kind of depends which podcast I'm listening to or what Facebook group I'm in as to whether, you know, because a lot of the small business ones, like say Gold Digger mm-hmm. or something or Amy Porterfield or, you know, the businessy podcast, the businessy people, they're always talking about like, you know, how to make seven figures doing this and this with a drip campaign and teaching this online class. And it's always like, you know, about like the making the money, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it as much with the DIY community that it's just like, you must be giant. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do kind of hear it from the other end, from the small business ladies and mm-hmm. I think I feel like the issue that I hear people still wrestling with that is kind of a twas ever thus thing is how they're making a living on things that they actually make by hand and to to manage the volume and to command the price um mm-hmm. that would require that you know that is hard I feel like that is really really hard to do um, oh, it's so hard. And like you have already like something that's done. I mean, I can't imagine like, you know, occasionally I'll sell vintage on Etsy. And if you don't ship it in like one day, they're so used to Amazon and, you know, things so fast that they're just like, where is it? Like, what have you shipped it? And it's like, well, no, I can't imagine if it was something I was hand making and I custom know. making. That's, that's very true. And I actually today, let's see, I've got one order from Monday. I really try to ship everything the next day. Um, it's not always possible, but, um, I really try to ship things out as fast as I can, but it, it's true. People, I mean, I'm used to this, you know, it's like Amazon, you get it, mm-hmm. get it 10 minutes ago and, <laughs> and, you know, and they have the same expectation. It's funny that you mentioned Etsy because I, um, I have an Etsy shop now, which I didn't, I had, I've had an Etsy account since they, since 2005, since they started, but I, I wasn't allowed to have an Etsy store at the time because I didn't technically hand make what I was selling. Oh, interesting. They didn't allow anything yet. And so it's grown over the years where they say, okay, now we allow suppliers or people that do publishing or, you know, now they let people sell anything on there, it seems. Um, And I have noticed that there is a very different type of customer on Etsy than the customer I get with my website. Um, They have different Mm -hmm. expectations. There's much more of a I'll call it a Yelpy attitude where they know they can leave a review. So they kind of have this little more entitled, slightly threatening, if it doesn't go the way I want it attitude. Uh Um, So that's, that's, uh, and so, and if you were, and I have talked to some people that have big Etsy stores and that's all they have. And they deal with, they deal with a different um, customers with different expectations. And I think that's, that's, that's tough. Um, but, but just back to your original point of, uh, yeah, you, you got to be happy. You've got to be enjoying it. You just, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. Everything mm-hmm. better than what you're doing on Instagram. I get, I get jealous all the time. I see stuff. I'm like, they're doing cool things and I stink. But, you know, <laughs> no one can do it. I mean, I feel that all the time. Um, and I think, I think it's a, it takes practice to refocus on what is good for your mental health and, mm-hmm. and, and by doing that, that keeps you focused on you doing your best work. And that's all it is. It's just doing your just head, you know, 
I hear so much hand wringing. I mean, God knows I've done this. It drove me crazy when people copy your work, when you think they're copying your photo or they think they're, you know, you know, ripping off your style or whatever. You, unless, unless it is like what I went through where a company literally took my patterns and released a line of clothing with my patterns on it, you, you just can't give it your energy. You just mm-hmm. have to do your work. And that's not easy to do. Um, but it's the, that's, that's the secret success sauce. I mean, if there is one, that's it. It's just put your head down, worry about you, do your work. And it took me a long time to get to that place. I was on the warpath all the time because mm-hmm. no. all the time. Um, and there were things that I needed to do that were necessary because I was pretty aggressively getting, um, I think I had three clothing companies put out lines with my patterns on them. And you, I had to do something about it. I had to protect my trademark. One of them used my trademark. It was nuts. Um, yeah, I remember when all that was happening. I mean, I remember when people were using naughty secretary club as a search tag on Etsy and I was just like, it's not a style. Like it's a brand people. Yeah. You know, and I try, the only thing I try to do is like on Instagram is I, I gently, I gently police the sublime stitching hashtag. And honestly, virtually everybody who uses it, um, they don't know. They see it tagged somewhere and they don't know that that's because it's tagging my patterns. They think it's just, you know, it's a nice way to talk about embroidering because it is. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, and I just have a, like a little ready to go note that I send people and I, and I, I, I'm like, I probably didn't even know this, but it's trademarked and it's really just a way for people to identify stuff that's made with my supplies. But yeah, that is a dangerous rabbit hole to go down and Instagram will feed it to you to the point that you'll never do your work if you pay attention to that all the time. And yeah, you said it perfectly. You just got to pick your battles and put your head down and, and do the work. So, you know, speaking of Etsy and old school, I don't want to keep you for forever. We're already in an hour. But did you ever advertise in the back of Bust or Venus magazine or any other now now defunct magazines? Have you met me? <laughs> yes. I still have people say that to me. Like, that's how I found out about you. <laughs> um, yes. I advertised in Bus Shop. Uh, I advertised in Venus. I also advertised in Punk Planet. I advertised Ooh. in uh, Love and Rockets comic book. And actually, my very first print ad was in Juxtapose. Oh, that's a good place for you. Oh, and Ready Made. We used to do that one, too. Oh, right. Yeah, Ready Made. It's like magazines are falling off. I'm like, I was trying to think like, who did we used to do? All right. So I'm going to end with the same question I ask everybody, but for you, it's a little different. Do you miss Queso in Austin or have you found good stuff there in LA? I have not found as good stuff in LA and I'm going to give a massive shout out to Curras in Austin because I miss Curras. I miss Curras. There is Mm -hmm. nothing here that is good as as Curras. I miss Curras Mole. Oh, yeah. Gosh, their everything is good. They have those like avocado uh, margaritas. I don't even drink anymore and I want one of those. Avocado margaritas. When I go and when I was in Austin um, last fall and I was there for like 24 hours, I think, uh, I was meeting a friend of mine and I said, I only have a few hours. We can have breakfast, but I'm having breakfast at Cura's. And <laughs> what I get is um, sometimes I get a Tecate um, and it's I get huevos sucios uh, with an extra side of white cheese, crumbled bacon. And then I sit there and I just roll, um, I roll little breakfast tacos for myself. It's heaven. It's heaven. It's the best. Yum. I do. I love their Conchita Pabil. Now I'm like hungry. Now I'm like, I want to go to Curra's for dinner. (laughs) I wish I could. I would. All right. I'll FaceTime you. I'll go eat it and I'll FaceTime you. (laughs) Mole, mole smile. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. This this bite's for you. Well, Jenny, thank you you so much for coming by and hanging out and talking to me and reminiscing. Thank you, Jen. It's been super fun. It's really, really nice to talk to you again after all these years. I know. I've loved it. It's thanks so much. Uh Uh-huh. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Boom. That is the sound of Jenny Hart dropping some serious small creative business knowledge bombs. I told you that woman was wise. 18 years of running a successful company will do that for a person. 
Find Jenny at sublimestitching.com and at sublimestitching on Instagram. I'll put links to everything we chatted about in the show notes over at creativecaso.com. You know, there is more than one way to embroider. Sublime Stitching specializes in hand embroidery, but are you familiar with chain stitch embroidery? Over on creativecaso.com, this week's Taco About It Tuesday is with Tina Vines. Tina runs a company called Vines of the West, specializing in Western and vintage inspired chain stitch embroidery. Her sewing machine is over a hundred years old and she gets busy with it, customizing everything from felt handbags to circle skirts. I loved her surprising piece of trivia about herself. So don't miss the interview and be sure to follow at Tina underscore Vines on Instagram. Listening to podcasts and doing handiwork like embroidery is the perfect combo. Go grab yourself some sublime stitching patterns. She even has downloadable versions. And go back through the Creative Queso archives where you can listen to me chat with our other fellow Craft Mafia member, Vicki Howe, art teacher extraordinaire Cassie Stevens, who you might have seen on the new season of Netflix's Nailed It, or Nicole Stevenson of Dear Handmade Life. Thanks so much for hanging out and listening. If you're happy and you know it, you can clap your hands too. But after listening, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, why don't you? And if you're really happy, you could also rate, review, and share. You know, I totally wouldn't be mad at that. Shout out to my producer, Mariah Gossett, and to Chris Beck for the music. And I'll see y'all next week, same time, same place. Bye. Bye.